really need to get some intro music for this uh, opening segment. I appreciate that it was, it's basically just a silent page uh, if you if you do tune in straight away. But uh, anyway, welcome. Welcome to the VWX World Podcast. I'm on my lonesome again today. Uh, no Dustin. Dustin is still taking care of babies and trying to get some sleep, I imagine, which is always fun and games. Um, but welcome to VWX World. Uh, I'm Kane Sims, your host as always. And this episode is sponsored, as always, by the Conversation Design Institute. If you are uh, interested in becoming a conversation designer, if you want to learn the ropes, you want to learn the process, the procedures, the methodology, the ins and outs of dialogue design, then the Conversation uh, Design Institute is definitely where you should start. It's an online course. You can do it at your own pace. Um, it's all videos. Hans Van Dam instructs it all. Fantastic uh, conversation designer. And they're always adding new courses as well. And they've got things for conversation designers. They've got things in there for, for developers as well. There's one on, on working with Raza, which is coming soon, which is which is incredible. Um, and thankfully, um, being a VUX World listener, as you are, you save 25% if you, uh, if you join the course using the promo code, which I will include in the show notes and on the website as this goes out. So thank you, Conversation Design Institute. I'm just double checking to see whether we're live on LinkedIn because uh, usually it comes straight up, but it doesn't look like it is today. We're definitely live on YouTube because we've got some people tuning in on YouTube. So hello there, everybody on YT. Um, but we'll crack on anyway, and uh, we will see. We will see uh, as we get motor in whether or not we are live. Um, but without further ado, I think we should introduce today's guests. Today we are going to talk about creating your own independent voice assistant uh, with Voxter. I'd like to introduce Kavita Reddy and Sirish Reddy to the VWX World Podcast. Welcome. Hi. Hey, glad to be here. Very glad to have you. Very glad to have you. Uh, Kavita, we've, we've known each other now for quite some time, it feels. Uh, we, 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 we go way back. Oh, you do go way back pre-COVID, which is pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah, it does. It is a bit strange. Um, back in the days when you could actually meet people, you could actually have conversations, you could have a drink, a bit of food, events. You know, remember was, those uh, times well. It was good times. It was good times. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, glad to have you on the show. And uh, for those of you that are for, for those listeners that are not familiar with Voxter. We'll go kind of one by one. Uh, Kavita, maybe we'll start with you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? And then Sirish will go, we'll learn a little bit about yourself. And then we'll get on to Voxter and the platform and, and how it works and your observations on the voice industry and your approach to creating independent voice assistants. So, Kavita, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do. So, I'm uh, Kavita Reddy, and I base, I'm the co founder of Voxter, which is an independent voice bot company. I got to it in a very unusual, but very logical way. I used to work at the BBC across radio, TV, and online. And voice seemed to me very much the next UI. And given that communication has always been my business, it seemed a very logical next step. The interesting thing about voice is it enabled, uh, after I'd left the BBC, I moved to India, and voice seemed the obvious way for non-digital users of mobiles to get access to digital information. A very easy and a very um, user-friendly, easy and intuitive way to use digital. And that's basically where our journey started. I'll let Sirish introduce himself and then we can tell you a bit more about the company. Sounds good. Sure. Yeah. So I... Uh, you know, sort of I did my engineering, of course, and then worked in consulting for many years uh, out of London. But then I think when we moved to India, we were really keen to do something that enabled large numbers of people um, really to, to progress to become using digital services. And it, you know, at that stage, you know, mobile phones had become very widespread. 80 percent of people suddenly had a mobile phone, but not smartphones, of course. You know, there's all Nokia phones that we, we talk about fondly, the <laughs> 1,100. <laughs> and the point is they were using those uh, and they were getting information by talking to other people. But still, that depended on, you know, you knowing people or call centers being around, which is an expensive business even today. And it just made sense to, you know, have voice as a, as a driver and, and speech recognition, which then leads to voice assistance to the back end. But then as soon as anyway, so that that was really where Voxter started. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I've been on different startups before that for 
the previous 10 years. So that, that sort of gave us enough rope to get started. And then we moved to England recently. Hmm. And so, so where did the kind of where did you come across Voice then? And, and had had any had either of you worked with Voice before Voxter? Uh, well, I think I had worked in radio, yeah. <laughs> and uh, no, I said neither of us actually worked in Voice or speech recognition or any of that. And we're talking about a time when the whole of this neural networks, etc., hadn't really taken off, hmm. and and so you know we. Uh, really went through some really, you know, it's been a, taken a, it's a, it's a reasonably long journey, but I think it's just, it's a, so many different aspects of it are pretty exciting from a technology perspective, but also in terms of just the impact it can have on people, um, mm. whether that's in India or in the UK. And I think that still keeps us going. I mean, you have to remember that when we started, it, uh, I was looking at this very much as a communication, not as a technology problem. Mm. And, you know, cinema was big, television was big, but you still had vast swathes of India where either there was no electricity a lot of the time or people just didn't own um, uh, or have access to a TV or going to a cinema. It was still a luxury. So, but, but they had a mobile phone. It, but they had a mobile phone, mm. right? They had a mobile phone to find a job or mobile phone to ask somebody if they should travel to the, from the village to the nearest town. So it was almost, um, it was like peeling an onion. It was, you know, having been in communication all my life, it was, well, how do you communicate with vast numbers of people um, if you don't have what we have taken for granted, you know, TV and online, etc., and Sirish was coming to it very much from a technology um, point of view. So it, it really was a marriage of necessity meets um, a potential. Mm. And what? So tell us a bit about what Voxter does. Then, so how would you describe? Voxter, it's a is it a platform? Like how would how would you describe what Voxter does? No, no, very much a platform, and 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 I think it's about helping, about making it easier to set up a new service, and then to refine it very quickly um, with live users. And, and you know, from the very beginning, we've taken that approach because you know we could see immediately from the very beginning that actually one of the biggest constraints about launching voice services was that you need to have speech experts on one side, you need to have natural language guys on the other side, conversational you know, flow design, and all of this you know, we still need to do. It's become, of course, significantly easier because some of those chunks have been you know, addressed quite significantly. But I think overall, we, we just want to make it easier uh, to, to launch voice bots in whatever form, uh, whether it's on you know, uh, telephony or on uh, mobile apps. And to that extent, it was obvious that we had to do, we had really, we had to do a platform rather than uh, be a development company. Hmm. But so, it's also about posing, uh, about offering clients, brands, uh, SMEs, an alternative to the big boys. If you wanted a website, you wouldn't go to Google or Amazon to develop your website for you. Hmm. But that's kind of the position that everybody is in with voice there has to be somewhere where you could go to and just say, I don't have this in-house, but there is an alternative, which with the help of a few designers, I can now create a, a working voice assistant and, you know, reach my customers on using the voice channel. Mm. So is it, is it kind of like a self-service sort of arrangement, similar to something like, um, I'm trying to think actually, because quite a lot of them do require a bit of hand-holding when you first get involved. But for example, once you're trained up, then Cognigy or Boost or something like that, you could, someone could get away with it. You know, a, 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 um, I don't know, maybe it's a, someone who works out in a company, in a, either in a, in a technical role in a call center or on a, on a digital role for the website and things like that. They, could, they can start to use these platforms and stuff. Is it is it like a self-service based platform? Platform or is it more of a managed implementation? Like how how is how is the how is the we, user interacting with it? Yeah, so I, I think from a client perspective, we've taken the view that it should absolutely. Right now, you know, in terms of our journey, we are really still uh, offering a managed service. Mm -hmm. We've made it easily configurable for ourselves, so that in terms of the, you know the, the team within us 
within Voxter. It'll not be the speech guys or the software developers who will be, you know, you'll be talking to when you launch a new service. And, you know, I use an analogy about this, which is, you know, it may make sense to people, it may not. But, you know, when cars first came out, um, you, you really couldn't let people go off and drive themselves. You had to send them with a the driver. Um, and it's, I think it's with voice technology, we're still in a similar place. Uh, and, and I think the way we're looking, so that's one way you're trying to do custom voice bots. We're very much, we want to help people. But I think the other area is we are, especially in the UK, we want to actually come out with pre-configured voice bots, which are focused in on specific verticals. There, people can, we just want them to be able to literally do a couple of clicks, a little bit of customization. Maybe they want to change some of the prompts or something. And then bingo they can launch it as their, uh, as their own uh, voice app. That's, and, but, but that's, you know, both um, on the telephony side really is where we're, we're focusing on initially. Hmm. And what kind of industries do you think there are opportunities for that kind of thing for, for like almost like out of the box, ready purpose-built designs? Where, where do you, where do you see the, in, which industries do you think would benefit most from something like that? We're looking at sort of large customer-facing verticals, but things like uh, financial services, um, small restaurants, hairdressers, where access to a ready, um, ready-to-use virtual receptionist would be a huge asset, particularly now where um, cost is of the essence in the COVID, post-COVID environment. Hmm. But I think, uh, Kane, I think it's a question. I think we will discover that as we launch services in the marketplace. You know, it's not something that, you know, us sitting in our discussion can really, <laughs> you know, come up with a solution. I actually, I think your audience will have certain views on it, which will be fantastic, you know, mm-hmm. because I think that's, and that's why we want to make that whole cycle of configuring, launching, getting usage, and then back to, okay, we've launched 10. Now let's see which of them actually we should put some more uh, legs behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. So, so let's go through the journey then. So you created Voxter. You were both based in the UK, creating Voxter. Then you then both moved to India. What? So we mentioned briefly before we started the the conversation. I mean, we haven't really explored in great lengths the the voice industry, the the technology landscape, the community, the whole kind of voice industry over in India, which is a huge has a huge population. And you can tell now, you know, Amazon. There's a hackathon every couple of weeks now in in India, and and Google are launching all kinds of different services from from Google Assistant on feature phones to you know a whole a whole range of 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 kind of uh, things and so from your perspective i'd be interested in how you would kind of describe the voice ai industry in india right now and where it was when you first went there and how would you describe it right now i'll give you an overview just of of the kind of landscape uh and let's serious talk more about the technology but mm. It's India is very different in the sense that um, very high mobile phone penetration and India is mobile first. So 60% of people using voice assistance in India are doing so on mobiles only, right? So when brands are looking to reach people, you can't simply think of an Alexa skill or Google because everyone doesn't own a smart device. So if you want to reach them on voice, then you're either talking a call center um, uh, service or you're talking something on the mobile phone. So it's very different. And, you know, we've seen a massive progression uh, in the years since we've launched because, you know, five years ago when we launched um, with uh, the an election campaign, which was dubbed a political Siri because it was a voice search for the uh, BJP election party, um, most people had basic phones. So we had a a voice search on election issues powered um, where people were given a a landline number to ring up and then, you know, have an interactive service where they could say, tell me what you're going to do about the economy or tell me what you're doing about women's safety or unemployment or whatever. 
in the last couple of years, with the advent of very cheap data and very cheap smartphones, uh, largely driven by India's biggest telco, R Reliance Geo, that has changed. And people uh, now, um, with rapid adoption of smartphones, mobile bots become much more a viable option. So we have gone from building IVR bots to now doing both. But I'll let Sirish tell you more about the actual uh, technology and, and mm. the, the languages that we've mm. just, just Just before that, when you said mobile, are you talking, so you've got IVR, which is dialing numbers, yeah. and then, then there, there it is. When you say mobile, are you talking voice capabilities within mobile apps? Yes. Yeah. Well, that too. But yeah. uh, when we're talking about IVR, you see, the point is in India, you know, penetration of landline, uh, even let's say, I don't know, 15 years ago, would have been about 20% at most of the population, right? Mm -hmm. About five years after that, um, five, six years after that, 2010, uh, mobile phone penetration had got to 60, 70%. <laughs> so, when Kavita says it's mobile first, it is absolutely mobile first, the whole country. Hmm. Um, so anyway, I, I think, and so, and, and the other thing that became, was a key factor for us was that the, we had to be multilingual from the very beginning. You know, we had to look at this problem where people speak maybe in one language, but 20% of the words they use will be from another language. Uh, most of the time it might be in English in a, in a sort of when you're talking about a functional business conversation. So that was a key thing for us. We had to um, support multiple languages. Then, of course, accent variation across the country. Forget about across the country. Even in a, in a, in a, in a region which may be 100 uh, kilometers square, it might be quite significant. Um, and so that was one sort of one big thing in driving us. The other big thing, of course, as Gautha said, was that uh, Geo basically in about three years ago started giving everyone free mobile data. Uh, and of course, Chinese mobile phones, smartphones came in and, you know, at about 20, 30 quid uh, were the cheapest uh, smartphones. So suddenly that has revolutionized India in the last three years. It has suddenly gone from being really not digital or at least 100 million people being digital. Now there's half a billion, you know, 500, 600 million mobile digital users. Um, and that's, you know, been a, a real sea change. So it. Um, and, and as a result, you know, as you rightly say, Google Assistant and, and Alexa have also raised awareness within India, uh, you know, amongst the decision makers, of what voice can do. So I think it's actually, you know, we've been sort of working away ourselves for quite a few years, but actually these big changes in the environment have been phenomenal for us in terms of, you know, rocket fueling our, our, um, our growth effectively. Mm. I'd be interested. I'd be interested in, in understanding what you what you see as the differences, perhaps in in terms of the over this side of the world versus in India. But I think first, I think you touched on something really interesting there, which is dealing with multiple languages, multiple accents. You know, speech technology is historic uh, for for you know not being fantastic with accents, and we always reference the uh, the Glasgow sketch show with the lift. Have you seen that? The, the yeah, other that's a phenomenal yeah. one. Yeah, it's classic. Um, I feel like that sometimes. Uh, sometimes I speak to people and they think I'm a Geordie still, but then other times I think I speak to people and they don't know where I'm from because I've been down south too long. I think I'm getting a bit diluted. But either way, um, so the, the whole concept of, of trying to deal with accents, trying to deal with uh, well, it's not just accents; it's, it's other languages. How many languages does do, does it does India have? Well, India has, I think, 27 or is it 31 yeah. official languages. We support yeah. nine of those. And we've had to build it. But that actually, you know, as a lot of Indians have two languages as kind of a native, you know, from you know, childhood. So if you look at the population, probably 95% of people will speak um, one of our nine languages as their top two languages, one of their yeah. top two languages. So, yeah, yeah. you know, we were covering a large part of the population really with the language we have. Yeah. So where, where do you start then from, I mean, have you, is this technology that you've totally built yourself from the ground up? Is it something that you've started with, I don't know, something from the likes of a Microsoft or something similar or like, how, how, how do you approach that the the problem of, of multiple languages like from the off you said you said you wanted to start out being multilingual from the very beginning presumably that's put you in a good position for moving into you know english and, and other languages as well so how, how did you approach that from from the from the start um 
Yeah, I think, to be frank, I think it was an incredible challenge when we started, one that we weren't really <laughs> fully aware of at the scale of the challenge. Um, but I think what, what it meant, though, incredibly, was that from the very beginning, we said we can't start in English and, and take the tools, take the, the kind of thinking that's been available there, and then apply it to Indian languages. Because the amount of development that's happened, whether it's open source or in terms of just purely you know, thinking around linguistics, that's happened in English is clearly, you know, it's the most studied and, and researched language, both in technology terms as well as in linguistics worldwide. Whereas we were dealing with Indian languages, uh, most of whom actually the, the, the difference between speech, how people speak versus how it's written is much greater, right? I mean, mm -hmm. whereas if you take England, for instance, you know, the, the population, 80 to, well, 70 to 80% of the population have actually, to some degree, gone through a formal schooling process. They're all used to watching television. And so there's been some kind of accent normalization and, and the rest of it. I mean, mm. bar the guys in that lift in, in, in Glasgow. <laughs> it's but, as Kane said that, it, you know, even though he's a Geordie, everyone thinks he's been here. There's been some homogenization, relative homogenization. But equally, but, the, but, but I think, but the point is still remains, but actually, which is, you made it, which is that even in England and, and the UK, uh, there's a lot of still accent variation. And that's both, uh, it's a great challenge. And it's one that we're, you know, we're very keen to address, of course, at one level. Um, but anyway, going back to, you know, where we started, I think what we realized is we had to uh, take a different approach. Um, and some of the pure machine learning approaches that people have taken for English don't work uh, for Indian languages, simply because the data is not there. Um, and, and of course, we've built a large amount of data, but it also meant that we had to go down routes of um, essentially rule-based approaches as well in some places, especially around the natural language understanding, mm. which then was phenomenal because it allowed us to mix a lot of languages also easily together. Interesting. Mm. I think there's, so what, what do you think then is the, because um, obviously you, you've worked in India, you're now over here in the UK, you've obviously been speaking to a lot of people, a lot of companies, um, what do you think, Kavita? Um, what do you think is the the differences that you're noticing between where voice is right now in 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 the UK say, versus uh, versus where it is in in India? So I was really interested. Uh, I think when we met last year at a voice event, that there was a huge awareness of voice here, and much more of an industry that had sprung up right, around voice UI, as you know, uh, design and people building skills, but largely for Alexa. What is great for us is that we don't have to make the market here. There are, there's already an awareness that we need voice because our customers are on voice. But what is different is that people here are starting with Alexa or Google and then looking at uh, alternative providers. In certain industries, I think like financial services or the media like the BBC or Spotify, where there is much more of a premium placed on user data, there is an awareness that we need to build our own. We are not going to just uh, you know, use Google or Alexa and then hand over our data and let them manage our user relationships. So it's a very different uh, market. In India, we were literally not just creating a product, we were creating use cases for the product. Um, you know, when we worked with Rekit Benkiza, for example, it was literally we had Bollywood's biggest film star doing uh, the voice for us uh, for a marketing, a health information and marketing campaign. We had to, in every case, suggest something that we could do that was different because people didn't really know about voice or how to use voice. Here, there is already an appetite for voice. But I think the, the transition to independent voice players like us, that is beginning now. And I think COVID has had... Um, something of an acceleration uh, factor on that because more people are looking at uh, voice as a 24-7 and as a cost-cutting um, potential uh, tool. 
Hmm. Do you think what what are your thoughts? You've touched on a good thing there, which is around the the drive towards. And this isn't. I don't think this is fully underway yet. And I, I think we're in early days of this, which is companies understanding or getting an understanding that their their customer data in terms of the conversations they have with their customers is essentially going to be like fuel. It's like petrol for the future. You know, yeah. it's like a little gold man. In the same way as you know, if you think about. Um, Google's a good example, to be honest, because if you think about where Google started just from from performance searches, no yeah. one really was thinking about where's that data going, who has access to it, what's it being used for. And then things advance, Facebook comes along, people are posting and tagging photos and all this kind of stuff and, and tagging each other in locations. And all of a sudden, Facebook knows who your friends are, who your family is, it knows what you look like, it knows where you've been, it knows what your interests are. All of a sudden, all that data then becomes an advertising machine. And nobody really understood at the time, and how would you, because it was the first time it was ever done. Yeah, so yeah. Do, do you think we're in a similar phase now where the value of that speech data, the value of those conversations isn't yet fully understood and therefore com- some companies may be entering this a little bit blind because they don't really know how much that's going to be worth and the impact of having that data somewhere else in future. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's very clear. Uh, I mean, you know, from my experience at the BBC, the BBC is a prime example of um, an organization that realized early on putting podcasts on the Google podcast player uh, and then realizing that they didn't have access to all the user data, but Google also was getting that, very much determined its course of action to build its own voice assistant, you know, a bespoke voice assistant that it owned, it managed, it owned the rights to the user data, it controlled and, and managed those relationships. Um, you know, you look at that with Spotify and they've done the same thing. Interestingly, Google is, uh, I think, very recently has started powering um, voice search for a French supermarket chain. They're not doing that in a vacuum. If I was sitting at Google, they're doing that because they want to go head to head with Amazon, um, Whole Foods, and look at getting into um, food delivery and Mm. and, um, uh, FMCG search right Mm. so it's the sort of thing that i think a lot of companies haven't quite i think you're absolutely right they haven't realized uh, apart from financial services i think our sweet spot is very much financial services because they have realized they don't want to outsource the process and outsource user data but i think a lot of other company sectors are stumbling very slowly into we need voice because our customers are already already there. Uh, we, our customers are getting more and more, you know, even in, in the US, sort of 50, over 50% of people are now really comfortable with voice banking. So people are becoming aware that if the customers are using it, just in the same way as, as started, people started going online, everyone knew they needed a website. But they haven't cottoned on. Everyone hasn't fully realized what happens behind the scenes. And how much it empowers, you know, the giants to, in a sense, compete to become your competitors. Mm. It's so the, the uh, Amazon and Google and Microsoft and IBM, they have huge resources. You know, the the ten thousand people I think was rumored to be to be working on Amazon Alexa, which is just yeah. mind boggling. Um, and so inevitably their technology is going to be pretty good, you know, and plus they've got barrels and barrels of data coming in from all different channels and all different places. And so inevitably their technology is going to be very good, you know? And so when you're speaking to potential clients and clients, and if you were to have a conversation with someone who is asking, who's debating, do I, do I do something with like Google contact center, AI dialogue flow, Microsoft bot framework? Like if, if they're kind of on the edge, aside from the privacy, you know, having access to your own data and serious memories, this is one, one for you. Like what, what do you think is the, the value for businesses in creating their, their own uh, voice assistant using something like Voxter? Right. I think there's two parts to that question. I think one was, uh, and I, I think 
somebody's asked the question about why would anybody actually want to voice assistant? I won't answer that question because we'll I get think- to that, We'll get to that one in a bit. Thank <laughs> you, Marley. We will get to that one. Um, but I think your real question is, so why should they use Voxter and, and not Alexa or, or Google? It's, 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 it's really- what's the, yeah, it's what's the, what's the difference because yeah. like, so, yeah, go on. What, what's, what's, no, no, what's and I think in, 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 a, in summary, I think what we can say is we see both Alexa, both Amazon and, and, uh, Google, the way they're operating is, if this, if this is the full speech stack, I can't quite, you know, different layers with, with speech recognition at the bottom, NLU, uh, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, going up, where it's getting closer to the dialogue flow at the top, mm-hmm. a dialogue uh, design. Um, then I think what it is, is that if you look at uh, Amazon and, and uh, Google, it's, it's, it's very much the case that each layer is independent and you developer or as a company how to string them together but there are also incredible constraints within each layer um, which means that you for they know there's little room often to tailor it to niche uh, cases or things around the fringes mm-hmm. so you often have to tailor your service to what they offer and as a result the user experience uh, suffers to some degree mm-hmm. now you're talking there about things like sort of like custom language models and things like let's say you're working with a financial absolutely. service provider so, so there's multiple levels, terminology uh, that absolutely there are multiple levels of the stack right now uh, you you brought up speech recognition so there we have the ability to take uh you know what is relatively small amounts of data which is you know uh, 10 20 30 hours and actually adapt an engine just for a client and we can do that with a matter of a few weeks now on top of our existing data now the beauty of that is that gives incredible recognition uh, performance improvements for their particular use case. On mm-hmm. top of that, you know, there's a bunch of different things we can do at every layer to customize for each use case. So especially for, and we're talking, I think we're really talking about the, the medium to large clients who basically uh, want better performance. That's where I think our sort of customizable platform, which is we've had to do that from the very beginning because of mm-hmm. the environment we've grown up in, which is, you know, multiple accents, multiple languages. Um, and, and, you know, we've had to do it in a way that we can go and actually, you know, touch it in here, touch it there, touch it there mm-hmm. and, and be able to fine tune it. Mm. That makes sense. Um, so we will get to Malia's question. Um, so why would any person or business actually need a voice assistant and how would it be used um so Mali, i don't know if you're familiar with your likes of amazon alexa and google assistant things like that but um they tend to be getting traction because of the friction that they remove from getting access to various services so rather than picking up your phone tapping swiping clicking all this kind of stuff uh you can get to things a lot quicker and plus you can do it when you don't have your phone with you or if you don't have your eyes and hands available like if you're doing other things like driving and stuff like that uh, and so the and, and it's a nat- it's a quite a natural kind of interface so these are some of the reasons not all of them but some of the reasons why voice assistant to kind of uh, kind of ticking off, um, I'll throw I'll throw the question around the business to over over to you, Kavita, uh, in terms of why would a business want a voice assistant? So if you were walking into a, a boardroom of some description or, or a Zoom call, as it now uh, tends to be, <laughs> and uh, there's always someone, there's always one person at the back of the room who's like on the phone most of the time or with a laptop open or something like that, and you go through a big spiel, and then they kind of glance up and say. Why do why do we need a voice assistant? Why why does our business need one? What's what's your response to that? If someone was to say, why does why does my, why does my business need a voice assistant? You know what? If your customers are happier talking to you, then you need to talk to them. But more importantly, why do you need an independent voice assistant? Where I think we've addressed some of the issues, but really, I think even in uh, in Europe. Most customers don't have, are not necessarily using uh, Alexa or a Google Assistant. Therefore, you need to create a new experience on voice to go to them. However, most of your customers, if you are a bank, you know, I bank with HSBC. I have the HSBC app. It's far easier for HSBC to voice enable their existing app to have a voice assistant on that app, which caters to customers like me who are much happier 
sticking the phone next to, you know, um, the, the bike when I'm cycling or, you know, when I'm cooking to say, I just want to check, did that payment go through? Do I need to pay for my son's football lessons again? That's why you need it, because if people are migrating to using voice as an interface, and in the last year alone, there's been massive growth. You know, 40% of people are actually using voice to shop. E-commerce is taking off. Forget just search. I mean, this year, I think 50% of all search is supposed to be voice. But the fact that 40% are looking at voice commerce are happy to search and buy things on voice means that if, if you're not there, you are going to lose customers because customers will always go to wherever it is easy for them to interact, wherever the shop is open for them 24-7. And that's why we are finding that with COVID, there's been much more of a resurgence of interest in voice because customers want it. Mm. Nice answer. Maybe, maybe i just add another couple of points there, which is one is I think you had to separate the world between the contact center or, or telephone, people are telephoning in. Um, and, and there, I, I didn't think we need to discuss why, you know, voice assistant is ne needed in the call center, you know, blended uh, with human uh, agents as well, 24-7 service, all this kind of stuff, which are pretty obvious and, and, you know, some degree of cost reduction and all of this. But I think the question uh, Malay may be asking uh, may, more on, on mobile devices, which is what Kavitha, I think, was, was addressing, uh, or, or potentially smart devices. I think the case for smart devices has yet to be made apart from a specific use case. And there's a lesson there. You know, it's primarily about playing music. That's what people use it for. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and people you know, play around with asking the odd question. But it's mm -hmm. primarily about playing music. Now, I think the way voice is going to take hold is actually by addressing specific use cases rather than being a, hey, do I need a voice assistant? No, I don't. But do I want to be able to, when I'm running, do I want to be able to say, hey, change the track or you know, how long have I taken for the last kilometer? Yes, I do want to be able to ask that question. That too when I'm panting, not, not uh, you know, with perfect speech. So those, I think that the use, the, the, the need for an voice assistant comes out of the use cases. And I think that is yet to be fully discovered and explored. Mm, yeah. I think what's interesting, Kane, is something that you probably have addressed in this or a previous podcast is that um, whilst the interest and the use of voice seems to be going up, the number of skills developed on Alexa have actually gone down i.e. people are looking more at voice, independent voice assistance or unique services rather than just using Alexa because um, it's the first time that the number of skills developed on Alexa has gone down. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's a theory around how the potential for that going down is because maybe people are spending a bit longer on them and making higher quality ones. I don't really know, to be honest. I don't really have too much of a strong opinion on that. But I think, Sirius, you're right that the primary use case is obviously music. That comes out time and time again, study after study, music, asking questions, setting reminders, all our first party um, stuff. Yeah. Um, the challenge for, for brands for, for Alexa is, is being discovered. That's been the case for a long time, which has been yeah. a challenge. I think when you own the real estate, you own the app, it's a lot easier to get things enabled. And plus, you've got total control of, of access. I think that's the, the difficult part is, you know, Kavita, you mentioned earlier on around the BBC pulling podcasts out of Google's network. And, and that's the reason for them creating the assistant, the Beeb, is, is so that they are able to have a consistent user experience. And then also send it into whichever channel they need to send it into. Fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's the um, the the ownership and control over um, access, which is a challenge on on those devices. But let's say that you know. Can I just, about, I'm sorry, sorry, Kane. Just to yeah, pop in a, another point, which is there, which is you know, is we've sort of come at it uh, from the voice perspective, and the question was about voice. And, you know, on a phone call, absolutely. You know, that is what the user expects, that it's going to be about voice. You know, they don't expect uh, a table or text uh, to, to show up in front of them. As soon as you switch to the mobile device, a mobile phone or a tablet, 
it would be a shame not to use that amazing phenomenal screen that's there as well that the user could you know that you could present information and i think you know as you know i think you you did a a slot on rcs and and you know we are also you know we for a client we're doing something uh, similar to that but through a mobile app but it's obvious that the kind of blended experience is the, is the way forward on mobile phones or tablets where you know voice is mixed with visuals yeah. Google Assistant is actually really good on mobile. I use it more and more now. Um, nice. It's a bit clunky to get to. So if I, want, if I wanted to get to it without touching my phone, I would need to do this. Hey, Siri. Hey, Google. Wait for it. One moment. One moment. This is Siri. Assistant says, what do you want to ask Google? What time is it in New York? Then it opens up. Don't know if you can see that, but it's just a, such a clunky way. It's it does it has showed me on this. It's a perfect example of what you were just saying there, using the screen when you can because I've got it in my hand, uh, and then maybe if I'd have asked it on the smart speaker, it would have just taught me. But it's still a bit of a clunky way for me to get there. Simply to ask Siri to ask Google, which is just it never feels right. Um, so, but yeah, you're right. I think I think interfaces are converging. It's going to be about the right interface for the right context and the right device, depending on where the user is and what they're asking. And I'm excited to see things like headphones and TVs and things like that come into the equation and see how that changes the user experience. Um, but we've spoken a lot. We've spoken a lot so far about kind of almost like it feels like it's been a little bit of a of a convincing like like a conversation about convincing people why there's value in independent voice assistants, which I think is good. Um, Next, let's say that you've convinced me now and, you know, I'm sold uh, and I want to do this. What's your approach to bringing something to life? Where do you start and what steps do you go through to take something from sign off? Like, yes, let's do this to having something live and working and out there. Um, let me talk about two experiences uh, in, in India. And I think that that'll actually help uh, one in the call center. Um, for an insurance company and, and the other that we're working on right now, which is uh, this multimedia, multi-device uh, app-based voice enablement. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that we've consistently found in the call center is, you know, we go and ask for documentation, we ask for, you know, process mapping and the rest of it. Um, and, and, you know, we get some documentation. But then if the documentation is here, the actual reality of the calls and what people are asking about and and the flows is kind of over here mm-hmm. and you know it's by, so, by, by documentation do you mean you ask for documentation around call scripting like how should this conversation go or do you mean yeah. documentation around processing like if someone asks for this what's the process to enable that uh both both okay. really and i think that's the that's the that's the point i mean the point is but if you look at it Call center processes, and I suspect the same is true in the UK, are often just not documented. And if they are documented, they're not followed. Hmm. Yeah, I think <laughs> I've, I've worked. I've worked in service design for a long time, and I've seen this play out numerous times. Which is that when it's first um, when it's first implemented, it's yeah. created by you know I don't know a business analyst or a team like that yes. who put together yes. the process, and it's like that's, okay, that's the process, and then you implement it without any testing. And what happens is the call center operatives are like, "This is rubbish. <laughs> this isn't going to work." I, I tell you what, I, I've been here for a while. I know my way around things, and so all of a sudden, there's a workaround. And all exactly. of a sudden, someone else new joins and that person exactly. trains that person in the workaround and then exactly. they figure out a workaround. And before you know where you're at, two years later, the process is just nothing like it's supposed to be and exactly. no one's documenting anything. But yeah, yeah. Carry, and, carry on. And then people have done the right thing. The call center guys have done the right thing because, mm. hey, they want to support customers. They don't want to piss people off. They want to support them and make them feel better. So <laughs> we find the only way to do it, deal with it is actually by asking for recordings, representative recordings, transcribing them and then reconstructing the flows on top of that and saying, you know, most of your flows, this is what's being done. Some of the things, these are, this is being done. And that's the only way to do it. Um, it's the only way to get a true sense of, um, you know, on a bunch of different fronts, you know, what are the languages people are using? What are they asking about everything? So that's essentially, and so to do that though, we had a, I mean, it took us a while to get to the point where we could, I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, transcription, you know, what's the problem? Of course, you just Mm -hmm. get it done. (laughs) Yeah, but now you've got different languages potentially in the call center. You know, we were 
initially in one city in India and, and you know, talking to a client in another city who's then selling to, you know, think of Europe, right? If I'm sitting in London, I've sold to a client in Paris, but actually they've got business in Italy, Spain, and Germany. And uh, their audio files are spread across, you know, from those three languages. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in London. Okay, London does have people who speak all those three languages. Um, but actually getting them all and, and getting them to transcribe stuff is, is not a trivial challenge. So we then actually built a platform a little bit like Amazon Turk to be able to push work out mm-hmm. uh, for transcription so people could actually work from home. And so that was an interesting sort of first step for us to kind of, and this actually helped us drive the whole customization thing as well mm-hmm. because we had that transcription capability um, or data annotation capability. We were then able to um, customize much more rapidly uh, because suddenly you can have 100 people working on it in, in this week and, and, you know, uh, and they don't have to work on it next week or the week after. Mm-hmm. But we, we, we got our job, job done. Uh, which by something which would otherwise have you know, taken one person two years or even 10 people, you know, at least a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so so I think it all starts from the flows, really. Mm-hmm. And then we configure the flow in our platform. Um, mm-hmm. And then out of that comes the language. <laughs> and, and, you know, some of the language rules are already configured. Other, time, other ones have to be specifically configured for that particular service. Mm-hmm. And then... You know, we have a whole testing harness which pushes data through and tells us which things are not working. So then we mm-hmm. can go back in and say, okay, where are they not working? Are they not working at the recognition level? Are they not working in terms of language understanding? Or is the flow itself flawed? And so therefore we need to tinker with that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if that sort of gives a sense of it. But iterative testing is kind of the next thing for us, critical. You know, we, we try and do at least four or five iterations with people testing mm-hmm. the service um, mm-hmm. before we go live. The interesting thing about all this is, Kane, when you're asking the question about what do you do when a client says, I want a call center voice assistant or I want a voice bot on my mobile app, there is um, a lot of talking with you know the decision makers about what they ideally want. Beyond that, it's almost like you have to construct the, the, the service that they want either to replace or create a new one, you need to construct it from scratch. And that is the case with voice because voice is now where, you know, the web was um, 20 years ago, right? So in a sense, we are almost, we're not just building something, we're constructing from very first principles the way a voice service will look and sound and the variation in language and uh, accent. But the great thing about that experience has been is we have ultimately ended up in in a place where we've not just learned how to construct individual voice services, but we've got to the point of creating a whole process. So we've productionized the building of speech engines and voice assistants. With our distributed data processing platform that Sirish is talking about, we've got hundreds of women, largely women who work from home, uh, doing uh, data processing for us. We've got, you know, take a client requirement, try and construct the language model. You know, we're not boiling the ocean. Let's work out what is the specific amount of language and, you know, vocabulary they need. Let's look at the modality. Is it, you know, voice bot on on, on the mobile app or is it on the uh, call center? But we've basically now got to the stage where we could create a new language engine for French or German in three months. We can create a new voice assistant for, you know, one could be a voice assistant for pension advisors to capture data on a form or surveys. You know, we've just finished surveys in seven languages in in India. Uh, We're doing currently a how-to voice um, sign-up guide for a global bank. All those we're doing within a few weeks. So we've got to the stage of productionizing voice assistance and productionizing voice uh, speech recognition engine building. Nice. So what, that's, I want to step back slightly to that first part around transcribing calls 
you know, getting data, that kind of stuff. Because that's one of the things that when people create, a, 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 either even chatbots, one of the things people struggle with is getting hold of data, utterance data. Like what, one thing is from the very beginning, when you come up with an idea, you have no idea whether people are going to ask for that thing that you think is a really good idea. And then secondly, if you find a use case that actually has demand, and this is different for the contact center because the contact center, the demand is baked in. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But but half the problem is validating that it's that it's worth doing in the first place, and then understanding how are people going to actually interact with it. So the value of the contact center, what I like, is that you've got data, and even if they don't record their calls right now, you can you know even if you just did some shadowing and some listening, you know, for a week or two, you can you can get you can you can transcribe things, you can understand it. Um, <clears throat> But in those instances when you do get a, a large chunk of data and you've got people now who are, who are you know be able to work through those transcripts, I'd be interested to shed some light on what those people are doing. So you get a transcript of a call and you've got start the call to the end of the call. Are, are they kind of categorizing those calls based on this one's about a claim, this one's about a booking, this one's about chasing up? Or are they getting down to the level of detail to actually identify entities and things like that within that you could then put into the language model? What's what's actually happening when, when those people are analyzing those calls? So we have a slightly mixed model in the sense that, and you're absolutely right, initially we do have people who are identifying entities and tagging uh, uh, some of the values. So as soon as somebody is uh, tagged a entity value um, and an entity type, we would actually then programmatically run through all the transcripts and do that tagging. So essentially, you know, the first few, if you had, I don't know, 100 conversations, the idea would be the first 10 conversations, you'd be ta- humans would be tagging everything. And by the time you get to the 50th conversation, you should have actually tagged, probably, you should automatically have tagged 80% of it. Mm. And then by the time you get to the 90th conversation, you only got you know, 10% remaining to be tagged by humans. Mm. So we've sort of done that blended uh, uh, process. But you absolutely have to get down to the values. You cannot, you know, that, that, at the starting point, um, either that or we had to feed our engine. You know, we already know, I mean, a sort of simple example might be, you know, we did a, a bus ticketing um, app uh, in, in the languages, uh, you know, booking bus tickets. Um, you know, simple things like, you, you know, place names are, are simple things to load up as a uh, entity type and entity value. So, you know, if those, those kinds of things are already there, then, then of course, we can always, you know, the, pr- the, the, the automatic process will pick those up very quickly. But if it's things which are... Um, not immediately known. I mean, it also goes back to the whole sort of natural language processing aspect of it. And, and, and you know, and, you know, we we're aware of all the latest stuff that's happening, the so-called open source platforms that good old, uh, sorry, programs that Google and the rest of it, uh, the rest of the boys are, are, are bringing out, you know, Birch and the rest and, and some mm-hmm. later. But actually, they work to a degree, but not enough to... Because and the classic case is, I think, in this whole machine learning arena, is is e- Gmail's uh, email uh, assistant. You know, it started what about a year ago. It started playing. Now we've all trained it, right? Mm-hmm. Hundreds of millions of people using Gmail have trained it now because you know we either take the suggestion or we don't. And of mm-hmm. course, they're processing that back. Now, if you had that cycle going with a with a service, there's nothing like. Uh, machine learning uh, to to kind of you know get you on the, the right place, but that's because hundreds of millions of people have manually given it data, mm. right? It's become it's been part of the use case. When you start a new service, you don't have that data, right? You just don't mm. have that data, so you have to start with human input, you know, people putting in their knowledge, and I think what a key part of our journey has been. How do you get input from people um, into the system easily, uh, but at the same time from people who are not necessarily "quote unquote" experts? Mm. You know, just mm-hmm. normal people. You know, who just you know just want to use a service and, and you know speak and behave normally, and, and they can just so building interfaces to allow people to input knowledge into the system has been a key part of what we do. That's interesting. I like that. I like the concept of the tagging 
looks forward into kind of upcoming conversations and makes judgments around what entities are, are what and stuff like that. Presumably you, so the, the, there may be cases where you don't have that data to start with, but let's say you do, um, and you're able to then extract those entities. You can then use that to build your language model that can then give you a flavor and the transcripts give you a flavor for what your conversation design needs to be. Presumably you then go and design that conversation in the system. You've got your language model sitting there. You then, Presumably, there's then some testing, some validation, things like that. When you, because I mean, I'm in, I'm, I want to, I'm, I'm skipping over this only because I want to get to the point of going live. Because you mentioned that sometimes you need to create your own data if there isn't any, and the best place to get that is from from users. Talk to us a little bit about when you go live and you hit the button. What happens in terms of your monitoring and iterating of that language model with with new conversations coming in? What's your process around identifying and tagging new kind of um, you know extensions to the language model and things like that and improving the conversations? So I mean, it's like everything. I mean, I, I, I don't think I'm saying anything new when I say that it's the conversations that didn't reach a successful outcome that need to be looked at. And the question is, then, you know, we've got a whole bunch of, in a sense, analysis uh, screens where people look at it, say, okay, why did this not, uh, in some cases, it can be programmatically identified that actually the recognition just did not work or something because the confidence score was not high enough in that particular case, you know, and, and then, you know, we can go in and say, okay, what aspect did not work? Is it that the fundamental engine throwing out, you know, the machine learning engine part of it itself? Um, did not throw out the right result, or was it that actually, um, you know, some of that, so there's a mix of, uh, how should I say, programmatic analysis, as well as humans looking at those conversations, which then they feed information back. Um, but that's all primarily done through a set of uh, a web-based interface that our team uses. Hmm. But the interesting thing about this is that, it actually um, allows us not just to work with the existing service, but also, in a sense, almost drive the service. Let me give you an example. So when we did the election voice search, we were given a list of issues. And when we, um, that, you know, people would search for, based on the intelligence the party had, um, you know, doing polls and surveys, when it actually, when we launched and did a beta version, we realized that one of the things that was coming up a lot wasn't unemployment, alone, but youth unemployment, it turned out to be the biggest issue in the election. We fed it back to them and saying, because we had realized um, uh, through a mixture of programmatic and human intelligence that th there was this something that was not being recognized and it wasn't being recognized because it wasn't there. Interesting. And then the we were design, able yeah. to feed that back and say it needs to be there. And it was one of the things that was the most, you know, top of the pops in terms of searched issues. Interesting. So so you're able then to and and that so this is this is interesting how because we always say we mentioned the data, didn't we? And how important that data is, how important it is to to get hold of that data and things like that. Um and, and to have that managed by by the company who has the assistant. And in this instance, you know, I don't know whether that might have been like an oversight on your client's part in terms of like forgetting to give you certain content or whatever, or it may have been that nobody had a clue. Exactly. <laughs> they didn't know. But that is one of the reasons why we exist, Kane, to go back to why people would have an independent voice assistant. You could still be a big company and ask, you know, use Google or Microsoft or um, Amazon speech to build the same service. But the, the, the reason startups exist is because we are kind of fleet of foot and smaller and able to move the ship and spot and respond to emerging data. And that will always be the case. And that is why we exist, because we can customize, iterate, test and feedback and say, you don't just use what we already have. Let us give you a bespoke experience based on what your customers, your users, your clients are asking for. Mm. And then that has potential to extend beyond the voice interface, doesn't it? Exactly. You, know, you learn you learn new preferences, you learn new needs, new pain points, you yeah. know, that gets fed back into the business and you can even potentially, depending on what's going on, spin up new product lines, new services, all off the back yeah. of it. With a greater level of accuracy. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think chat, open chat and uh, open voice have that potential, if you use it well, to feed back into the whole organization. You're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. The whole business. You know, it's not that people uh, didn't give us information. It's that, you know, if there are 100 agents, how do you get inside their head to pull out that information about the question that's maybe only asked once or twice every day? You ask them, what are the topmost questions? And they'll come out with the topmost questions. And so it's not that it's that information is not actually being collected. And by actually using voice assistance, one's able to you know, capture that across all conversations. Mm. You've also you're then into the value of the long tail, isn't it? Like that's one of the things that I I think yeah. it might have even been two years ago. So I remember making this content around the, the one of the issues around discoverability is is that there just isn't enough stuff there. You know, specifically talking about the the voice assistants that we kind of know. The one of the issues is it's just the stuff simply isn't there, and that's kind of still the case. You know, if I was to ask, you know, what how much of the latest Nike Air Max trainers, or you know, whatever the case may be, it's, I'm not able to do that, you know, because because the service isn't there, and so that's half of the problem is that you know people with mobile phones, you know, that you can pick your phone up and you can get anything basically, <laughs> you know, it's it's more or less anything. Um, but with your voice assistant, it's, we're still waiting for it to kind of, it's almost like a menu being kind of arranged. You know, you'll go to some restaurants yeah. and they've got like a really small menu, but the food's really good. That's kind of where we are, which is music That's works really well, example, questions yeah. action really well, yeah. But sometimes you want, you, you know, if you fancy something very specific and you go to the restaurant, you want a bigger menu, you know, it, it's kind of, yeah, I don't know if that, maybe it's the analogy breakdown. <laughs> no, no, I think it's a great example you've given. I think, but, but from the perspective of companies, where you know generally the view is you know we run a mobile app oh they, it takes them through the structured tree and so all customers should kind of deal with that is kind of the thinking right whether it's mm -hmm. in the call center or whether it's a mobile app and when you have agents you can't pick up on the stuff on the fringes you're like, okay fine you get a, a a group together every month and you have a feedback session but you know you're just not able to add any weight behind some of the the and and some of the things from the long tail are the things that are going to make it into the fat tail right into the top. And, and, and that's the thing that the voice can potentially really add value to an organization way beyond just an interface. I think the global experience is really useful for this because, um, you know, you were asking at the beginning, what is different between India and um, being here? Well, the UK is much more technologically advanced, a much more mature market, but Often experimentation comes from, is driven by need and necessity. Um, and a lot of the use cases for voice have are coming out of places like China and India, where because people don't have access to technology or data in the same way, they're looking at more interesting ways of using things like speech recognition. So for this global bank that we are working with in India, they have found they because they're a digi bank um, and they are targeting millennials for their first job who um, may not have all the data, i.e., three years of addresses, um, you know, jobs, uh, payment slips, etc. Um, but when they sign up, there is a massive drop off between people who embark on the process and people who complete it. So they've asked us to do a voice how to guide to help people so more you know, complete and sign up with them. And now that's a really interesting use case and one that I think there would be massive uh, potential for in the UK, a how-to guide on, you know, um, how do I sign up if, if I don't have all this? But that, for this bank, has been driven out of um, how do we deal with the absence of um paperwork and and data and you know processes for these young millennials who we are desperate to sign up with our bank hmm. interesting i like that well this has been an enlightening conversation i love i love the concept i love the use cases that you've identified i love the examples that you've given um and i like the argument for independent voice assistance that's wicked so where can where can if there's anyone listening right now who likes the sound of this and, and wants to reach out and find out a bit more about voxter what can they do where can they go well www.voxter.com <laughs> <laughs> sounds good just one of the 
Kane, just before we sign off, I appreciate mm. it taking a long time. To, uh, thank you for the time. No, but no, no, one no. of the key things that we also see, and I think you would see this as well as a, you know, uh, as a voice uh, developer, designer, is that there is a cost associated. I mean, people might have an idea, but there's a cost associated in all corporates, you know, that, that has to be signed off, a budget, right? Mm-hmm. And that is often, if it's successful, they're happy to, of course, you know, it's all, but, and I think we're still going through uh, a whole lot of use cases where voice could add enormous value in corporates, but actually there's a barrier to signing off on that budget. And, and I think one of the ways we've structured as a result, apart from you know, building a very configurable platform that allows us to, is, is actually by saying, okay, we need to do innovative stuff on the commercial side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I think we're, you know, we're very interested in working with people who, have a, who are interested in doing stuff, uh, but are also hesitant because they're unsure about the, um, about the potential benefits, but are keen to experiment. Mm. And we are prepared to take some of that risk. Do you think that's the reason why um, why things are a little bit harder to get signed off? Is is the uncertainty, or do you think there's any other barriers there in terms of preventing businesses from from diving in board on board with this stuff? Uh, I'm sure there are a bunch of reasons that are always there, <laughs> but I think we can only talk about you know we we can address some of them. We can't address all of them. I think people want certainty before, but I think that certainty is creeping in. In a sense, COVID has fast-tracked what would have taken two years. You know, people are now, you know, we had not looked at health, but, you know, we've had a lot of interest from the health sector. Um, And that's partly, I think, because people realize um, in the same way that the digitization has speeded up, that this is one area that addresses uh, keeping the shop open and, you know, being there to talk to customers, be it on your app or be it on your call center. Hmm. I think it's, I don't know if it's just me, but like, I've always seen massive, obviously that's why we're here. Like there's massive opportunities, massive potential. I don't yes. see a downside. So it's really, I find it strange how, how some people might not necessarily understand or not think of it as a guarantee. You know what I mean? It's like automating conversations in your IVR. How can that not be a guarantee? Even if it, even if 10% of it's automated, then you've saved 10% of your cost, you know, or, or yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, we could talk about this all week, I suspect. And uh, it's been it's been absolutely fantastic having you along. I really appreciate it. Uh, everybody check out Voxter.com. And where can they, covet uh, I know you're active on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. Where can people follow you and, and you know, read your musings and whatnot? So I'm at Cavitar, which is K-A-V-I-T-A-R. I'm on LinkedIn, Cavitar Ready, and Voxter.com. So there. Cool. Sirish, anything to add? Uh, no, I think that's all good. Thank you. It's fantastic. been a fantastic yeah. chat. I think next lovely. time we're going to interview you. Like, I'm that's curious. Good. <laughs> that sounds good. I'm always up for an interview. Uh, I forgot to mention, uh, I was interviewed on the VoiceBot podcast uh, this, I think it's this week or last I week. I saw that. If, I yeah, saw that. if any of our listeners want to hear me and Brett, uh, you know, going toe to toe on a number of issues, then, <laughs> then do I tune agree. in. Uh, I've just realized, actually, on a, on a separate subject, I, I won't cover your faces with it, but I've just realized that I can do this. I can actually put the questions into the screen, which is really good. So, Lauren, this is a while back now, <laughs> way back in the in the early part of the conversation. So, thank you for talking about multimodal designs. I think there is much to learn about the balance of both voice and visual design. So, there you go. I'll start doing that from now on. I'll start showing these, uh, these things. But now, oh, I can't turn it off. Can't turn it off. No. Oh. Ah, oh, there you go. Right. <laughs> this is how we learn, boys and girls. Anyway, Sirish, Kavita, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Do check out Voxter uh, if you are looking uh, in the market for an independent voice assistant. Definitely check that out. Check out the Conversation Design Institute if you are interested in learning the ins and outs of being a conversation designer, the methodology, the tools, the processes, the practices, the, all that kind of stuff is in there and save 25% when you use the code in the show notes. Uh, and do check out the, the VoiceBot podcast as well with, uh, with me and Brett. It's quite fun. We do a little bit on uh, spirit animals assigning a spirit animal to each one of the voice assistants which is quite fun um so we will be back next week 
Um, I'll tell you who it's with if I can get my down. In fact, actually, we'll be back tomorrow, funnily enough, uh, with James Poulter of Vixen Labs discussing the Vixen Labs Voice Commerce report and some of the findings which Kavita actually you referenced um, during the, of the conversation. Indeed, indeed. So do check that out. Uh, thank you all again for listening. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, see you later. Thanks.